to the Beer Healer Interviews. I am your host, Chris Lukinenko, and I scour this big brand land of ours, looking under fermenters and behind mash tuns to find the best beer stories to share with you. The Beer Healer Interviews is now available on all major podcast services. If you like the show and want to help out, can I ask you to simply rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast service. Just leave a few words and a rating and the podcast gods will do the rest. By doing this, you'll help others to discover the show more easily and hopefully get more people interested in this great industry that we call craft beer. I'm heading back out west for another great craft beer story today, and I'm bloody excited about it. It's no secret that I love the WA beer scene. The beers are awesome, and the people are even better. And the fans, well, they're just amazing. I'm talking to you, Perth Beer Snobs and the Southwest Craft Beer Bogans. Thanks for your support. The left side of the country is big and brown. Perfect for growing grapes. I know, I know, this is a beer podcast, but I felt like that was a great segue for me to introduce my guest for this episode today. His name is Jason Cradaro and comes from a long line of viticulturalists, winemakers for the uneducated few amongst you. But a trip to Oktoberfest kind of threw a spanner in the works of chasing the dream of working with grapes and he decided he'd rather switch to hops. Shunned by the family, he then set out to follow his dream. He had stints at Billabong Brewing, Little Creatures, Blue Mile and Brick Lane and even a recent stint in South Korea with AB InBev. He has certainly paid his dues and built up a pretty handy set of skills along the way. There's a bit in this story, so we better get the conversation going. Welcome to the Beer Healer Interviews, Jason Cradaro. Cheers, mate. Thanks for the introduction. <laughs> ah, great to have you on, mate, all the way from WA. Now, it is uh, it is morning time for you over your way. It's lunchtime for me on a work day here, so I'm tipping neither of us have got a beer in hand. No, nah, mate. I just finished uh, my second coffee for the day, although usually I'm on the coffee number three, so it's a slow start. Yep. No, nah, that's okay. That's right. I'm I'm on the Coke. I just smashed down a sandwich before we got on here, and uh, it's lunchtime, so Coke will have to do for me today. Fair enough. Now, mate, uh, Oktoberfest has been the ruin of many a poor soul. It's also very fun from what I've been told, but I'm not sure you would necessarily call a beer festival, even Oktoberfest, you know, life-changing, but in your case, it was exactly that. Do you want to take us back to the trip and and why it was such a life-changing moment for you? Yeah, no, sure. Um, I guess like uh, Oktoberfest was my first real intro into, I guess, beer styles other than, yeah, kind of Aussie lagers. Um, yeah, I guess the first real intro for me was uh, Matilda Bay Redback. I absolutely oh, yes. loved that beer. Um, so it's good to hear that Matilda Bay are actually doing a bit of a venue over east somewhere from what I hear. Um, yeah. So that's a, that's a nice thing to hear because I did love that beer. But, um, yeah, no, definitely <laughs> it was, yeah, Oktoberfest. Um yeah, I guess for me it was just really interesting going to the festival there and it's you, you saw people of all different ages there, like um, young families to elderly um, and then, yeah, just drinking in big beer halls, like sitting next to people that obviously you'd never met before, all from different countries and you just kind of, yeah, like, make those connections with people, just start chatting to randoms and drinking. And that's how many a story and friendship began, I guess. So it was just a completely different world to what I grew up in. Tell me about the family. I I read that you're a family full of viticulturists. Uh, Have you just got a family winery or something like that? Yeah, so, yep, from family winery over here. So Cordaro Family Estate, uh, Cordaro Family Wines. Um, 
So, yeah, we've had vines, oh, I think, forever, like my great-granddad's um, planted vines really early on, and but it wasn't really until my dad and granddad kind of expanded our plantings that we kind of pushed into the more commercial side. Before that, it was always, yeah, just making wine for home consumption, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds like my old Ukrainian grandfather who used to make uh, a thing called Slivovitz for home um, <laughs> consumption, yeah. basically. Cool. Uh, let's call it methylated spirits in a bottle. It was that strong. But, uh, oh, but yeah, I- wine is, yeah, the products have definitely come a long way since back then where they didn't believe in wasting a drop of juice and <laughs> they would press those skins for their powder. <laughs> so you've come back from Oktoberfest to a family full of wine lovers. How did the chat go with that family when you then said to them that you were, let's call it hop curious? Oh, you know, they were all pretty supportive, but uh, I guess it was a bit of a shock one day when, like after I did, like, I guess um, I started dabbling in it a bit and did the um, went through a winemaking degree and I applied for a job with Little Creatures um, in Packaging, but I did a little step up at Billabong beforehand, which was really good. It was kind of that first segue into the industry. But um, when I, yeah, um, got in touch with Little Creatures, they just filled a position, but they, I guess, I was pretty keen to get in. So, and I had a little bit of experience in, I guess, the alcohol industries and production, and they kind of found me a position. But it, it definitely took um, the old man by surprise when I went to him. That I had accepted a job with little creatures and I was leaving in two weeks. He's like, "What the hell?" Yeah, it was, it was a little bit like that. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously, there was support from your families for this because this is a family affair. This business isn't it? Like a couple of sets of brothers, I believe, involved. Uh, yeah. So um, there's two families involved in Shelter Brewing. So obviously, our family and another local family, the Packard Hairs. Um, so we know we I guess we'd always cross paths um, in the past, but our I guess our grandparents knew each other. There was I guess um, a little bit of a business relationship a long time ago. So it was kind of um, interesting seeing the two families come back together with um, yeah a business here on the foreshore in a microbrewery. Sounds a bit like a tale of Shakespeare or something like that to me. <laughs> I haven't read too much Shakespeare, so I will have to take your word for it. Uh, look, I've only read it in grade, you know, grade nine and ten English, so I've probably got it completely wrong. Feel free to call me out, people who are listening, if I have. But uh, anyway, I'll, I'll move on. The, fa- the the brothers that are all involved, wh- what do you guys all do? Is everybody involved day to day with how the the brewery operates, or is there sort of like you know some silent partners sort of thing? Uh, I wouldn't say silent partners. I mean, everyone kind of sits on on the board, I guess. Um, but uh, everyone was very hands-on, obviously, during the planning and building phase. So yep. I guess we've all got various skill sets. Um, so during throughout the build, like one of uh, Asher Packard here, he's a civil engineer by trade, so he was very involved with the actual build. And same with one of my brothers who's uh, very good on machinery. Um, I guess we did a lot of the earthworks here ourselves, so... Yeah, between little excavators, um, yeah, bringing in the pad sand, uh, operating the rollers, leveling everything, um, and yeah, throughout the build, like working with the builder. Um, then my other two of my other brothers are very hands-on in other aspects of the building, and with we built a lot of the furniture here ourselves as well. And oh, then nice. uh, Zeb 
Yeah, he was very involved with the build as well. And he actually helped me a lot with sourcing, yeah, all, all the brewing equipment and the supporting utilities too. Uh, and then where everyone's in here oh, a couple of times a week just to kind of get around, see the staff, kind of just have a bit of a chat to everyone. Um, so, no, it's really good. It is, a, it is a very hands-on affair, I guess. And then obviously I'm in here as a head brewer as well, which is good. Yep. So it's not like yep. we've just decided we wanted to go build a brewery and then just get everyone else in to run things. I mean, I guess we've got a really good uh, GM, really good chef. Our staff are amazing here, but uh, we're all very hands-on as well, which is which is yep. awesome. Just a quickie to let you know how you can help spread the stories of the great people that I talk to on the show. It's all about the socials. If you like an episode, you can share my announcement of it on Instagram, to your story, or to your Facebook feed, or even just leave a thumbs up emoji comment, or maybe tag a friend. It all helps. And of course, it's all about the Apple Podcasts. Subscribe, rate, and review. It's the gold standard for helping people to discover the show. Leave a review, and I'll post it on my Instagram feed. Thanks very much for your support. So you mentioned there that you're a head brewer. You've built up a pretty handy brewing CV over the years, as I, as I mentioned in the opener. No one could accuse you of, of taking the easy route to uh, to this uh, venue, could they? Uh, no. Um, I guess when, yeah, I've been in the industry a little while now, and when I first got in, I guess, with with Billabong, it was back before they put their brew system in. Um, so it was back when I was a U brewer still. So it was kind of, um, yeah, a bit of a play around there on really small scales. And then getting into little creatures, it was, they basically found me a position in there. So it was, yeah, starting at the very bottom, cutting scraps, <laughs> cleaning glass, sweeping floors, throwing kegs around. Um, yeah, every everything like that. And then just, yeah, I guess slowly worked my way through the industry, which was, yeah, it was really good. And I managed to get some really great opportunities over East and overseas. Yeah, cool. I love that you've worked in both big and small breweries, you know, independent and big beer own. In terms of your overall skill set, what, what did big beer help you learn? And in, in the same regard, what did the, the smaller breweries teach you that you might not have learned in a, in a larger brewery? The big breweries, um, like they're amazing, really. I know there's a lot of hate around them, but what the big breweries do, they teach you really good uh, brewing processes, great structure as well. And yep. I guess there's really nice introductions to just different equipment as well because everything's done on such a big scale that – I wouldn't say always on such a big scale that a lot of the equipment is based around efficiency. So actually being able to see how some of that equipment works is great. Um, that's allowed me to – I guess when I did go about planning things, um, I the way I approach things is, well – I want to scale down a big brewery because of the efficiencies that you do get and the quality that comes out the other end. Um, Whereas the small breweries, I learned a lot in small breweries playing around with, yeah, lots of different um, raw materials, uh, seeing some different recipe styles as well, and just being able to be a lot more hands-on with things, I guess. Yep. Um, and, And like there's a, I mean, there's passion throughout the entire industry, whether it's a really small brewery or a much, much larger, um, I guess, uh, national brewer. But um, yeah, definitely in the in the smaller setting, it's you're a little bit more. Oh, I wouldn't say it's a 
hard and fast rule, but it's um, a very tight knit kind of team, and it can. It, I've found it a little bit more social between breweries as well. I want to know more about your time in South Korea, if that's all right, because. I want to know what the craft beer scene is like over there and, and would we have heard of any of the craft beer brands you were working on back out here? Yeah, you may have heard of a couple. Um, yeah, so the craft beer scene over there is expanding. At the moment, there's actually there's a huge number of microbreweries over there at the moment. Um, I th- there was, uh, when I was there, I think I'd heard that there was like over 150 craft breweries, but you wow. only ever came across a couple of them um, that were kind of in the – larger areas i guess and had their product out there a little bit more whereas there was lots of tiny little little ones out throughout the smaller cities um but you but you probably heard of oh, magpie brewing so they oh, i can't took, say i have no <laughs> oh okay um no. no they took out a pretty big award over at seabrew awards in southeast asia okay. yep but, um i guess um yeah, maybe we maybe we come across those things a little bit more here on the West Coast being so close uh, to Southeast Asia. Yeah, probably right, yeah. I don't know a lot about the scene, but I have uh, spoken to a couple of breweries within the sort of the greater region, if you like, um, Pastor Street Brewing in Vietnam and Great Leap Brewing in China. And I know okay. that in the Great Leap um, interview, Carl Setzer, his name was, he spoke about an AB-owned brewery called Boxing Cat. Did you ever have anything to do with that? I didn't have anything to do with Boxing Cat um, because Boxing Cat was predominantly over in China. Um, but I worked with, I guess, part of ABI, I was working very closely with the brewmasters over in China, um, a couple of Aussie guys over there. Um, okay, yeah. Yeah, um, so over there was, uh, in China, was Josh Fire. Uh, Josh Staines and Dan Feist. Um, so I was working really closely with those guys, which is great. Yep. And they were very, they were a bit more involved there with Boxing Cat um, being China. Whereas in over in Korea, I was more involved with the Hand and Mulch brand over there, which was kind of ABI's craft brand over there, which was their South Korean acquisition, I guess. So it was a great little local craft brewery that was started up over there, focusing on, I guess, bringing in those uh, American styles and developing some of their own as well, yep. including like a Korean pale ale, which was a really, really good beer. Um, and then I worked a bit with, I guess, the Goose Island brand there as well yep. and started yep. to work on Patagonia before I decided to come back to Australia. How good is it the Aussies are taking the brewing world by storm? I, the name Josh Staines just pinged into my head because I, I believe we might have been at uh, Lyon together. I think he was a malt shovel brewer at the time. Yeah, yeah, he was, yep. He yeah, was there for you. quite a while, yeah. Another one that's come out of that little uh, little place there. It's, it's just great to see <laughs> that the Aussie Aussie brewery Aussie brewers, sorry, are um, you know highly regarded throughout the world. It's it's fantastic. Um, so you talked about you you came back. What you, you had this this great sort of career where you hopped from different breweries and learned all sorts of stuff along the way. At what stage during that career or that part of your career did you think to yourself? I'm, I really actually I actually want to open my own venue at some stage. Definitely early on, like I guess um, uh, a couple of years into Little Creatures, like we'd spoken about it as a family because um, I would have liked to have just put like a, I don't know, a little small small little microbrewery in amongst the vines somewhere. Um, oh, yeah, cool. <laughs> out, out on the farm, grow some hops, you know, <laughs> do that, do the really cool little thing. Um, yep. But then I guess the opportunity came up here on the Bustleton foreshore and, yeah, we caught wind of it and thought, oh, well, 
why don't we stick a brewery near the beach instead? Uh, so, yeah, I guess that was kind of where it all went that way. So I went from kind of hoping to do just that really small little little thing and pump out some cool little beers to just something a little bit bigger um, right in town, which is definitely a direction change. <laughs> yeah. What What about in terms of coming back to WA? Was that always the plan? Or, you know, if shelter didn't happen, would you have maybe, I don't know, gone and opened up something in Marrickville in a West Sydney or something like that? Oh, I think if shelter didn't happen, I would have probably pursued international brewing a little bit longer. Um, okay. Yeah. Whether it was stayed in Korea or I would have liked to have maybe spent a little bit of time in China and then in Europe. But. Yeah, like I, to be honest, I actually hadn't planned on, weirdly enough, um, going to Korea. I was actually going oh. to take just a, just a little bit of a break um, before, I guess, we, um, oh, in the lead up to Shelter Brewing and I guess a lifelong kind of wish of mine, a bucket, bucket list thing, was to actually go and live and work in Italy for a little bit because um, I, I guess got Italian ancestry. Um, okay, yeah. Yep. It would have been nice to go and sit over there. And to be honest, mate, because I fucking love coffee. I mean, who doesn't? <laughs> I honestly was just going to go and make, uh, find a cafe and make coffees for a year. <laughs> nice. Just as, just as a bit of a, um, a bit of a break from the industry, I guess, for a little bit. Um, I did try. I did look around to try and find a brewing job over there, but I guess um, the beer scene in Italy was going through a bit of a boom as well, and a lot of yeah. people were trying to get in, so there just weren't the spaces yeah. to get in over there. I found some great beers when I was in Italy uh, two years ago, whenever it maybe three. It's uh, yeah, hard to find some of them, but there were some rippers over there. Oh, there's some amazing beers over there at the moment, especially like uh, some of your darker beer styles as well. It's what they're doing particularly well. Um, but yeah, that was the plan. But I guess, um, oh, before that, like, I guess when I was working over in Brick Lane, ABI approached me then and I told them that at that stage I wasn't interested because I'd committed to Brick Lane for a year. So I wanted to see that through. Um, yep. and then, yeah, I guess that kind of fell off my radar for a bit. And then, yeah, after I got back, they got in touch again. So, and because like, I guess I didn't actually – I couldn't find those options over in Italy to go to. I decided to, yeah, take up the offer and took off to Korea instead. <laughs> Fair Which, enough. in hindsight now, is a brilliant move because um, <laughs> as I was over there, I would have been going through the uh, yeah coronavirus pandemic oh. over in Europe, whereas uh, oh, in, yeah. in South Korea at that stage – well, it was one of the countries to really be affected quite quickly. The effects on my role over there were really quite minimal. I was still yeah, yep. pretty flat out with work and ABI were keen to keep me on um, regardless of that. Um, and yet they were willing to yeah get me home one way or, night, one way or another when it was time to go home. So yeah, Cool. So when did you actually arrive home then? I got back in mid June, I think it was. Well, only eight months ago. Yeah, yeah. It was. Um, oh, right. Yeah, so I missed all of the uh, lockdown over here in Australia. <laughs> so, but I read something that, you know, the brewery was opening Christmas or whenever it was this year and it had been a 15 month project. So, did you just skip out on all the hard stuff at the start and let the other brothers handle that and then just come back, right out, the brewer's here. I'm ready to brew. 
Oh, mate. No, I was here for um, some of the early stuff. I was here for all the um, the site works, which was good. Um, it's all that boring planning shit. <laughs> yeah, so I was well, – I was – a lot of the planning stuff was happening while I was working over at Brick Lane. So I guess there was a lot of phone meetings and things like that. And I was – flying back and forth between Melbourne and WA quite a lot um, during that 12-month period. So I think uh, that year I was over there, I think I came back maybe four or five times um, just between one thing and the next, um, I guess uh, particular family events and to come back with this for this project as well. Yeah. And then when I was back on that break in between Melbourne and Korea, like there was a lot of things to do here as well, like um, a little bit of trial brewing and then, yeah, site works. And then um, I left to go to Korea and I was over there for three months. Uh, when I came back for like that Christmas summer period, I was back for about six weeks. Um, yeah, like uh, half the frame was up, the utilities block oh, cool. was up. So it was kind of, I kind of saw snapshots of what was going on because they sent me like pictures while I was away, like what was happening. Yeah. But like, I guess it didn't really convey the scale of things and I, I get messages from mates while I was away. It's like, oh, yeah, your building's looking pretty big. <laughs> like, oh, okay. No, I, only ever, I, I could only ever see it in pictures. Um, and then, um, yeah, then I went back for another five months and by the time I got back, the building was mostly complete. Um, we hadn't begun fit out um, inside yet. We hadn't done any exposed ag around the side, so it was still very much a – big building on a dirt pad. Um, yep. So, yeah, I got to be really heavily involved with the back end of the build, which was good because at that stage, um, obviously, we weren't brewing yet. The equipment wasn't in. So, I guess all I had to do <laughs> really was find <laughs> work around the, um, the site and just work on some of the back end stuff like um, uh, just planning, management, um, yep. yeah, raw materials, procurement, drivers, procurement, everything like that. So it was 2019 when you publicly announced your plans to create this venue. 25 hectolitre, 650 seats, 1,500 square metres of, of space. That is a big building, isn't it? Yeah, it is a it is a pretty big building, I guess. <laughs> it's To do something down here on the foreshore, we always wanted to do something of a decent scale because um, I guess when we looked at it, like we know which way the region's going um, and how it's growing as a whole as far as tourism growth and population growth. So It's very, very much focused on tourism down there in Bustleton, isn't it? Oh, it, yeah, it is. It's very seasonal down here, which – so I guess that they're the things that came into the planning of it. It's, uh, well, we can't – if we're going to build something, it needs to be of a good scale, look impressive on the beach because it is a pretty iconic location here and it, pure and simple, needed the capacity to cope with the seasonality of the region. Um, and we wanted to be able to cater for all the tourists when they came to visit, while at the same time being able to cater for the population growth 5, 10, 15 years down the track because you're not going to build something, knock it down in five years' time and then try to build again. Like it's not a feasible yeah. thing to do. So yep. while when we first started the planning of it, we thought, oh, shit, are we going too big? Um, but now that we're open... Um, no, like we, to be honest, it could have been, not that we had the space to do it or to be honest, the cash, but <laughs> it could, yeah, mate, it could have, could have been bigger. 
um, or to cope with that, yeah, summer seasonality of the area, I guess. Tell us about the Bustleton area. Like it's it's in the Margaret River region, isn't it? And it's from what I've seen of your pictures of where the venue is, you're just like on this big, beautiful, bloody beach, aren't you? Yeah, so um, Bustleton is kind of the, I guess, the gateway to the Margaret River region as right, a whole. Right, okay. Um, yep. And it is, I think Bustleton's a relatively old town now and it's growing more and more. Um, but, yeah, it's kind of located on Geograph Bay. Um, so if you've never been here before, Geograph Bay is kind of um, one of those relatively rare, like, north-facing bays. It's very protected, very big, blue waters. Like, it, it's pretty picturesque. Like, the sand's pretty white. Um, it's just one of those cruisy kinds of beaches that's, yeah, it's not big surf or anything like that. So it's very popular with young families and kids, like swimming lessons down here in summer. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a really nice spot. And where you guys are, you're like smack bang in the middle of a great big pier and this awesome, you know, man, I'm going to call it a massive swimming pool or something where you've got a sort of, you know, roped off, if you like, part of the uh, the beach and the water to create a swimming pool with, like, you know, nice surrounds. It's it's just beautiful. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty picturesque here. Um, yeah, the jetty here or the pier is 1.8 kilometres out to sea, so it's the largest, oh, wow. oh, it's the longest timber pile jetty in the southern hemisphere um, huh. because this used to be, like, uh, I guess a long time ago now, um, it used to be a, a port, I guess, um, and a lot of stuff come in. Yeah, when you search for, um, you know, Bustleton, it talks about being a cruise port. It is now, yeah. We get a lot of cruise liners into the bay prior, prior to the pandemic. Um, yeah. But I guess uh, one of the main industries down here, like back um, at the start of settlement, is, uh, yeah, it was in the industry. So um, I guess, yeah, a lot of timber was logged out of here and sent back to Europe um, as building product um, or various other parts of the state or Australia. So, um, and kind of as the ships got bigger, they had to extend the jetty more and more as the kind of <laughs> the weight of the ship kind of increased because it is, it's quite a shallow bay. It's um, even at the end of the jetty, nearly two kilometres out to sea, it's only 10 metres deep. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and that's on a high tide. So on a low tide, you're looking at eight to nine metres. So, um, yeah, there's not a lot of water underneath a big boat. Pretty awesome-looking part of the world. But I, I think luckily that you are in an amazing part of the world because in WA in general there are some just some awesome venues. You've got you know, things like Little Creatures, uh, Beer Farm, Bright Tank, Nowhere Man, Cheeky Monkey. I could go on and on. How are you pitching your offering to a beer-drinking consumer that from the outside looking in seems like they're absolutely spoiled for choice? It's not so much a pitch we're trying to play. It's more about um, just for us just creating a pretty relaxed, cruisy venue close to the water's edge. Really, everyone likes sitting sitting by water, like whether it's a dam, river, lake or the ocean. Um so it's more about that, just creating that comfortable vibe. And I guess with the one of our big focuses is community. So in the very near future, we've got a few, um, I guess, things we would like to get involved with. But one, and but we wanted to kind of replicate replicate that. I guess that, like that little bit of a beer hall style thing, where yeah. it's um, a lot more communal seating, just to kind of promote that as well. So I guess. 
Yeah, our, we weren't really trying to pitch differently to, I guess, kind of what other breweries are doing down here. Or we're just, it was more just about making a comfortable place for kind of people to come enjoy, relax, bring your kids, bring your mates, whatever, I guess. Yeah. And your, and your dogs? Oh, mate, definitely got got to bring your dogs. Uh, I've got a <laughs> new little puppy actually and she's a bit bit too inquisitive to bring here at the moment because oh. um, I, I kind of bring her in early in the morning if I've got to um, duck off site somewhere else or I bring her in on Saturday and she's um, <laughs> becoming a bit more adventurous and she just took off on me the other day and bloody um, yeah, ran off down to the beach. So I had to go. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was hoping you would say you had a uh, brewery dog, but maybe you've got one in training. One in training, yeah, um, yeah, a little border collie pup. Nice, nice. So the venue sounds like it's uh, beer and pretty fancy pizzas, which is basically the ultimate one-two punch for me. I've got to know what's your go-to pizza. We actually uh, had to rename it because um, <laughs> I guess there was a lack of understanding of what it was. But my go-to pizza, it was called the Pizza Bread, um, and now it's, I think it's been renamed uh, Caprese. So it was oh. just a quite a, it wasn't a circular pizza. It was a little more smaller, rectangular, and a thicker base, like a really fluffy base. So, um, yeah, fresh tomatoes on it, lots of fresh garlic, rocket, basil, um, yeah, salt, oil on top. Oh, it's just nice. like... It was just that nice fresh style pizza, oh, bocconcini as well, um, without it being, I guess, uh, everything cooked. It was fresh, yeah. and yeah. I just really enjoy like nice fresh, crunchy, yeah, veggies on top of the pizza. <laughs> and what's the beer you drink with it? Uh, my go-to in here at the moment, I, I usually drink the summer sour with it, or the beautiful. All the, all the XPA just because I do need to drive around a fair bit still. You need to, you need to keep tidy, yeah. Well, yeah. nice segue from me there. Let's talk about the beers. Um, yeah. Full disclosure to the listeners, I haven't tried any of the uh, the beers as yet. Uh, I don't think I'd be alone on this side of the country because it's, it's not unheard of for WA brewers such as yourselves to stick to your own region uh, before tackling the, uh, the old Nullarbor and sending the beer eastward. Um, but that's okay because I'm sure you're going to do an awesome job in describing them. I want to know about the vision you had for the portfolio of beers that you, you're going to brew. Was there something you saw or maybe made in one of your previous stops that was a bit of a light bulb moment for you or, or maybe an inspiration? Oh, I guess uh, throughout my beer journey, I'll say. Um, <laughs> I definitely, well, I, I, I'll, I enjoy all beers. I don't really have a favourite beer style. But, like, there are things that I do tend to lean towards and I guess I found myself leaning towards that, slightly lighter, more sessionable, fresher style, which these days is kind of um, a lot of, like, I guess the Australian International Parallels heading that way. It's definitely the, the XPA movement as well, which is really leaning into that heavily, which is awesome. But I always had a bit of a thing for sour beers as well. Um, and I used to do, back with Blue Mile, um, some really long, barrel-aged sours, so 12 to cool. 24 months. Um, but while I haven't got those styles going yet, like I do really enjoy playing around with kettle souring and things like that as well. And then it, I guess through the different companies I've worked with, exploring different dry hopping techniques and fermentation profiles. So, yeah, like 
<laughs> Sorry, I probably didn't answer your question there. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, I guess um, yeah, I didn't. I guess for my vision in here, it was kind of a um, I wanted to make beers that kind of suited, not so much suited, but kind of lending towards enjoyment down at the beach and kind of beach sports and things like that. And so it's yep. more about that, um, trying to create those nice, sessionable, fresher, like a bit more tropical styles, I guess. Yeah, I liked it. I liked it. I've been doing an ultimate summer beer search this summer. Been looking yeah. for the best sub 4% beer in the country. And that's actually what led me to discover you because you, as you mentioned before, you brew a 3.5% XBA made with a great trio of hops, Cascade, Galaxy, Simcoe. Sure, yep. in the summer sun over there in Bustleton, the XBA has to be a massive crowd pleaser. Yeah, the XPA um, has proven to be pretty popular at the moment. Um, I guess, yeah, being a mid-strength, uh, you can have more than one beer that way, I guess, which is always always a good thing. Um, and, yeah, there's a little bit of weight behind it, so it um, doesn't really drink as a mid-strength, which was, um, yeah, kind That's of good. a yep. happy end result of the recipe that we developed. Nice. Is WA a big mid-strength market, you know, like, say, Queensland or whatever? Oh, I'd definitely say it's um, it's growing, the mid-strength market over here. Yep. Um, but at the same time, like, there are a lot of really great um, beers coming out around that 4% mark as well, which kind of borders down to that not a mid-strength or anything like that, but it is definitely a little more sessionable. You can kind of be, yep. yeah. Not carefree about how much you drink, but you don't have to worry about yeah hitting that limit um, if you have to drive anywhere, and you can have a few yeah. more before you feel yeah. any effects. I guess. Yeah. So is that important for you to have those session beers on tap in cans at the venue when you've got your sour four percent, the XPA is three point five, the lagers four point two, um, only the IPA I guess is sort of battling, batting up there at 6.8 is sort of over yeah. and above. Is that is that important for you? Um, I guess it was important that we had a range um, down in that slightly more session territory uh, just so everyone could come in, they can enjoy like a few, uh, a couple, yeah. like just a couple of the beers. They could sit down and do a paddle without yeah worrying about pushing the limits. Um, yep. It's obviously we don't want anyone to be drinking too much and then going to drive um but yeah we wanted to i guess have that that option there for people that they could yeah have a couple of beers try a few different ones before yeah before it um <laughs> they drank too much um, and i guess that's why we like with the red um being at five and a half percent it is that little bit higher and it's why we weren't too worried about going up at 6.8% for a core skew with the IPA because we did want something in the range that was just a bit bigger um, and I guess a bit more interesting for, yeah, the I guess the um, more niche craft beer drinkers. So you're up to five in the core range now, is that right? Yeah, so we've got uh, five beers and a cider in the core range here at the venue with, yep. at the moment, only three of them into can with the XPA, the IPA and the Summer Sour, but we'll be yep. launching the bugger in can pretty soon, which I am looking forward to. Yeah, um, cool. And we've got a couple of 
products in the pipework to hopefully join the course queue list later in the year. It's early days and obviously you're settling into your core range, but you're an experienced brewer. You want to you know, keep some excitement in your day. Surely you've got dreams of high ABVs, I don't know, barrel ferments and wild ferments, that sort of thing? Oh, yeah, mate, 100%. Like, um, <laughs> i, I got to put my winemaking degree to, to use. Oh, yeah, time. yeah, yeah. So now nice. we've, got a, we've got a bit of a um, cellar here at the moment. It's under one of the decks, um, which there's a heap of barrels in there at the moment waiting to be filled. Um, so, yeah, there'll definitely be some higher ABV stuff going into those. Um, so... Um, I guess uh, we are coming up to harvest uh, here in the region as well, so we'll probably yep. at least start have a bit of a play around with some yeah fermenting on skins and things like that. Not in big volumes. We'll probably play around with some small volumes first and just kind of have a bit of a muck around like us brewers and kind of get the hospo staff in to have a bit of a play with us, which would be great because they're all super passionate as well and they all want to have a little bit of a go, see what they can what they can do, which would be great. Sounds like a lot of fun, I reckon. I gotta say, I really like your branding. You know, I I like the way you've played on the, you know, the shape of the brewery with the can design. Who did you work with to come up with that? Uh, we worked with Juicebox, um, an cool. agency up in up in the city. So we worked very closely with those guys. Um, and there was a lot of a lot of back and forth, I guess, early on, like um, I guess trying to uh, we, we kind of always knew what way we wanted to go, but you always play around with a lot of, I guess, different directions early on. And then even with your brand, I guess, identity, what way do you take it then still? So, yeah, that was, that was a lot of work, actually. And I guess that is one thing that none of us have any clue about branding and marketing. We, we're not, none of us are that way inclined. Um <laughs> Yeah. yeah. You had a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker, but no marketer. Pretty much, mate. Yeah. Fair enough. Keeping in the theme of, uh, you know, the, the beer brands and the, and the styles and that sort of thing, I was I was thinking, you know, there's so many great breweries at your way. Who's who's somebody you would want to collaborate early on with from, from the region? Oh, to be honest, um, because we're all, like a lot of us, we're all mates down here. I'd probably like to do just a big joint collaboration with, all the breweries the down here. Yeah. Yeah, okay. um, yeah. So I'd kind of like to do something like that instead of any one in particular, because like, oh, I guess it's one of those things. Like, how do you choose one group of friends, if not the other? Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. What What about if you wanted to brew with someone, you know, out of your region, overseas, in Australia, whatever? Is, is there anybody that sticks out to you? Yeah, but again, it's like another group. Um, I'd like to... Yeah, like get all the old, um, I don't know, it'd be nice to do a, a brew with all the old uh, Creatures crew. Um, that's, cool. Yeah, I guess I was went through, yeah, brew there with like back in the day. So it'd be nice to do something with all of them maybe at some stage. Um, but, yeah, internationally, I guess um, oh, it'd be good to do something maybe eventually with um, – with the hand and malt team as well, like we all became pretty good mates. And when you do um, kind of travel, live and work overseas and you're away from your family and all your friends, you do tend to make a pretty, yeah, tight-knit friendship circle around you as well. So it'd be cool to do something with those guys at some stage. Yeah, nice, nice. Hey, uh, something I love about 
what I read about the brewery this week is that you're um, conducting brewery tours. I, I love that because I think that educating the drinkers, you know, whether they're locals or tourists, is really important. How how's the response been to the tours so far? Uh, the tours, I think they started. Well, <laughs> I think they started up <laughs> yesterday. Hasn't been a response yet. No, oh, yeah. no, they started yesterday, and one of our um, the guys in the venue that work in the hospitality side, their ops manager there, he was super excited about doing this brewery tour. He had this group of twenty five that were due to rock up. They all arrived, and they were all above like eighty years old. So, uh. <laughs> and they couldn't like they couldn't really come up the stairs or anything like that. So he had to more do like um. A bit of a session with them downstairs around the tables. I think he did take it into the production area as well, which is great. But I think this weekend is when um, we'll really start, yeah, doing the um, tours, which will be good. Being that you're from a little creatures background, do you remember Ian from the Fremantle Brewery that used to take on the tours? Yes, I do. Is he still around <laughs> there? And have you got your own Ian? Uh, oh, I'm pretty oh, – I've been into creatures for a little while now, but uh, I'm going to say he's still there. He loved it, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, we – yeah, actually, yes, we do have our own Ian. Um, nice. Good old uh, Matty Kipps, but I don't know if he's going to be doing too many of the tours. Um, I think Ryan will be the one doing the tours, but – yeah, Matty, Matty Kipps, he's, um, he, he, he's always an interesting character. <laughs> Do you feel like you've got a bit of a responsibility to educate the consumer who is, is walking through your door for, for the greater good of the craft beer industry? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I guess all everyone in the craft beer industry kind of has that shared responsibility that um, about educating the consumer. And it's not so much about educating them to pull them away from the larger, I guess, brewers, um, but it's about kind of creating those options and kind of creating the experiences and explaining kind of what craft beer is about and how do we go about doing things. And craft beer, really, it is, it's all around the experience that we want to kind of provide. Yep, which is, I believe, you're going to be creating a great one over there in Bustleton. What about uh, the customers that you've spoken to so far? What's their level of knowledge like? Is it all sort of the entry-level tourists like you spoke about a second ago or, or do you get the odd <laughs> beer nerd who wants to teach you about your beers and your industry? Yeah, yeah, no, we've had a, had, had a couple of guys that um, would like to teach us about how to really oh, make no beer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no. Um, I guess uh, being kind of where we are, and it is a very, I guess, uh, touristy area. There are it is kind of educating people that they've obviously definitely had craft beer before. Um, but like, kind of, I guess, being in a venue where there isn't a wall between the bar and the brewery, there isn't even glass. Um, they kind of get to be a little bit closer to the action. So it's kind of. Um, they're not just seeing an end product. They actually kind of get to see the process of everything. So I guess it is explaining to them like, oh, what are we doing here at the moment? Why is, why is the roof of the building full of steam and why does it smell of hops or malt? Yeah. So uh, it's actually Ooh. been really good. Well, it sounds like you've created a, a venue that's both approachable in terms of its beer and food offering and, and really welcoming to all, including dogs. I cannot wait to visit one day. I'll be coming across as soon as I can, uh, maybe not for another 12 or 18 months because of bloody COVID. So I'm thinking, what should I expect to see in your venue in 12 to 18 months' time? 
What, what's it going to look like? What's it going to feel like? And what will I be drinking? Oh, I think there'll definitely be a couple of extra skews on the taps, um, some seasonals, like we'll start up the seasonal program pretty soon. So nice. the idea yep. is to always have one or two on tap, which would be great. There'll be more barrels around the venue. Um, what else? Oh, it's hard to hard to look that far ahead. We've just been kind of chasing our tail a bit, but um, I'm sorry. More tanks, <laughs> more tanks. Oh, that's always yeah. It's funny how often I speak to brewers and, and brewery owners that are you know sort of I don't know anywhere between zero to twenty four months into their brewing journey, and they already are talking about adding more tanks in because as much as you think you can plan for this whole thing, you just need what more, more, more. You guys, don't you? Yeah, like you know and. Well, I guess we probably all did anticipate the way the market was going to go, but um, especially in the last 12 to 18 months, the kind of that speed, uh, the increase has kind of um, taken a lot of people by surprise a bit. So it's um, oh, it, it's great seeing on Instagram all the new tanks that are going into breweries at the moment. It's really good. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say I guess COVID hasn't been all bad for everybody because I think uh, in the liquor industry it's probably helped a little bit maybe in some ways, maybe hurting others. Yeah, no, I think, um, yeah, the, the craft beer industry is probably, anyone that's packaging anyway is probably, um, yeah, yeah, definitely seen a bit of an upside to their wholesale um, of the business. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I totally agree. If, if you're a keg-only ven- venue, you've probably been hurting, but if you're uh, straight into cans, as you guys have been from the very start, it's probably not not too bad. Yeah, oh, to be honest, mate, I did not want to go to Cannes straight away. I was really uh-huh. pushing pushing hard against it. So I was, um, yeah, just like, no, nah, let's just focus on the venue. And then in six months after we've opened, let's readdress the situation and by 12 months maybe have, have a small pack going. But you know, I was voted down. Um, brother versus brother. Yep, that, that's it. Um, but, yeah, no, I guess it's, it has been a really good thing because it means we've been able to get the product into pack, get it out onto the shelves and into people's hands and kind of spread the message and the beers a bit more, which, which has been good. But we are in a tight space at the moment. Yeah, I'm purely trying to squeeze a canning line into – yeah, our tank farm has not been uh, the easiest, so it's <laughs> it's probably going to go off site soon. <laughs> yeah, okay. And and what about distribution? Are you just sort of in and around WA? I mean, how far till you might get you know national distribution? Asking for a friend, how long it might be till we see the beers in Tasmania? At the moment, we are focusing uh, heavily just on the southwest region and a yep. little bit into the Perth metro area. But for yep. the first probably twelve months, we're we're only really going to focus on on the state here, um, just because oh, it, it, the further afield you want to go, the harder it is. And yeah. we'd we'd rather kind of um, spread the word here in the state first, um, yeah. Before we before we look to go east, um, because the east is definitely difficult with that yeah long stretch between WA and the east coast well i guess what we're doing here today is just we're just building the first stop on the hype train for you guys <laughs> cheers mate millions um, of listeners going to pick this one up and uh, they'll yeah. be trying to get onto your online shop yeah well that is true we do have an online shop but um now it would be good to um probably yeah in another 6 months or so like 
have a chat to a couple of retailers over east. We did have a bit of a chat about all of that yesterday and a little bit of a strategy meeting about um, going east. And, yeah, it'd be nice to get, like, just a couple of retailers um, over there just to just to send a pallet of beer that way every yeah. now and then to kind of um, yeah, get cool. the product over there because I've got mates over there that it'd be great to kind of have the beer available for them to have a try of, to be honest, because yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think I'm going to be getting to Melbourne um, <laughs> soon, to be honest, because I think everyone in WA is worried that if we go over east, yeah, we're going to get stuck. Back. We're a bit the same <laughs> here in Tasmania. I reckon the good thing about sending beer over on a pallet to a, a venue for your mates in Melbourne is that they'll have to actually pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> not, not ask for freebies from you. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's good stuff. Uh, look, uh, mate, I've, I've really enjoyed uh, finding more out about you here today. It's been it's been great. Um, I absolutely love the WA beer scene. And uh, from the moment I saw um, that can and that it was a, a mid-strength and then clicked through and saw that beautiful-looking venue on the beach there at Busterton, I thought, yep, I definitely need to have a, a chat to you guys. So thanks for uh, humoring me and, um, yeah, taking my emails and, and booking your time to do this because I, I really appreciate it. And I think – um, everybody that's listening to this today will have will have loved hearing your story. And uh, once again, thanks very much to the support from the WA people for uh, the Be Healer interview. It's been great, mate. That's sweet. Cheers, mate. Thanks for um, yeah giving us a call and giving us the chance to come on and have a chat. Absolute pleasure. Cheers to great beers. <laughs> yeah, cheers, mate. Thanks for listening. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. If you have an interesting beer story and want to be a guest on the Be Healer interviews, send me a message via my Facebook page. And once again, if you want to help out the show, a simple rate and review on Apple Podcasts or a follow, like or share on any other podcast service will do the trick. I'll catch you soon.